0: Uncertainty, sadness, weariness, old stories, old habits, old conversations, old ways. Are you ready for something new? A new year. New possibilities, new opportunities. God's invitation to something new. Make it awesome.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. I'm very glad you're with us. To everybody here in the West Auditorium, I'm very glad you're here. I was just in the East Auditorium and had a moment to uh, greet some people there and say hello, and so welcome to all of you there. Welcome to worship. And to everybody online and in Lovington, the congregation that gathers down there, we're very glad that you're here in worship together today. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I consider it an honor to take a few minutes of your time, if I may, in the next little bit, and let's look at some scripture together today. And we're going to be reading from both Isaiah and uh, the book of Psalms today, so you might make note of that as we get ready for that. So, uh, But first, uh, uh, something fascinating that I learned this week about a project that the government started uh, in a 900-acre area. The plan was that this, it was a river island, and... um, the trees had all died on the island, and consequently the river was starting to uh, erode the soil. And so the idea was, let's plant some trees and see if we can't um, get the soil to have a little more for- firmness and stop the river from encroaching. But you know how some of these sorts of projects go. Eventually, very quickly, as a matter of fact, they, uh, the project ran out of funds and fell on hard times, and so it was abandoned. And that's not a new endeavor. This has occurred in 1983. It was in 1983, and as that project had come to an end, that a 16-year-old who lived nearby decided that he was going to take on the project on behalf of the government. Jaref Payong took up the challenge for the area around his home where he lived, where the trees were disappearing. And since being 16 years of age, for the last... Uh, Years since 1983, uh, it's now coming up on 38, 39 years at this point, almost. Um, He has planted a tree once every day, one tree a day. And uh, the spot has changed dramatically. Now, where is this? It's not in the United States, it's in India. It's a small river island in the far northeastern portion of India. But since he began his project, that barren spot of sandy soil has changed to a thriving forest of trees. The soil is being conserved. What was originally 900 acres, the, the trees have just grown and it's now 1300 acres. The, uh, what was sand and is now becoming very viable and the, it's now teeming with wildlife. But beyond all that, a spot that was destined to die to erosion now has a future. And how did this happen? What caused it to go from barren sand to the lush forest that you see? What caused that shift? was a daily act, a daily project of a young man. He planted one tree a day. And once those trees took hold of Pyong's care, they soon began replicating themselves, and eventually nature began birthing new nature. The area now has all kinds of wildlife in it, including Bengal, ti- Bengal tigers and some Indian rhinoceros. There are deer and monkeys and birds. There are vultures there. There are thousands of trees, along with the thriving bamboo grove. And all this nature is re-flourishing and replenishing itself. And so Piang still plants one tree a day. Uh, And it's known as the Molay Forest, if you'd like to look and see what it's all about. One of the fascinating things is a herd of elephants has discovered this forest. And they come in their migration every year. A hundred elephants come in and they spend six months in this guy's forest because it's a safe place where they can birth their their calves. His quest, a daily quest since 1983, has changed the lives of everyone living on the island. You know where, there is, where this is going, right? One tree, one day. Let's have a chat today about your daily approach to life. Our sermons this month have um, been sort of exploring this sort of subject. What does it take to... Um, make the coming year awesome in a variety of places of life. We started by reviewing Psalm 128 last weekend, and I'd suggest you pull that up right now, whether it be in your Bible or on a smartphone, Psalm 128. You recall the song that we've already sung in worship yet today that uh, a number of months ago when I said to the worship team, hey, I'm going to spend the early part of... Um, 2021, in Psalm 128, would you consider writing a song about that? And so they've written a song that refocuses on this psalm, and the language of the psalm starts like this in verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. And perhaps you weren't with us last week. Then Let me just bring you up to speed with what we chatted about last week. We said that this is a life view. This is a 2021 view. It's, it's, it's a daily walk. This is how we're going to approach life. I, and I said, uh, here's some questions to evaluate. A life approach for each setting that you might step into, whether it be a conversation, whether it be a judgment about this person or that person, whether it be a plan to put something out on social media. Ask yourself these questions as you step into that. Is, is what I'm about to do, is it God-worthy? Is Christ-honored, and can the Holy Spirit be present right now, in this matter or in this moment? Is this, gonna, is this good for the Holy Spirit? And I suggest that if you can't answer yes to all those questions, then perhaps it's time to back up and take a different approach. And that's the start. That's the orientation to what we say is this 2021 uh, make it awesome approach. But today, I want to go beyond that and examine the daily implications. You can Put it this way. Last week was a worldview. Today, we'll examine the daily spirituality of that worldview. And here's how it relates to young Payong, the 16-year-old who planted one tree a day. This walk with God, it's a daily growth event. It requires a decision to follow God's plan. It it requires this daily understanding. I'm going to plan. I'm going to create. I'm going to plant. And the first day, the first month may be really hard to do that because you've got a little sapling that seems to be struggling against the wind and against the forces of coming around it. But once you start the planting, eventually the barrenness of your soul gives way to new life. Get started, and soon your efforts in Christian spirituality begin to act like Payong's daily tree planting. See, his trees began to throw off their own seeds and replenish themselves, and then because there were trees to land in, the birds came. The birds brought seeds from other places, and the work was almost, you could put it this way, taken over by nature itself. And it's the same for your spirituality. Get started, and the steps you take today will take, make, tomorrow's steps will be a little bit easier, and then the next day after that, and, and then eventually it becomes more settled. You develop some new habits. So what's the first step? You wanna go, okay, Wayne, I get it. We're gonna plant a tree a day. What's the first tree that I'm planting? Well. It goes back to Psalm 128, this decision that we're going to be people who walk in obedience to God. Psalm 128 is called a psalm of ascent. As a matter of fact, when the worship team wrote that song and we put it in our catalog of songs that we go to, um, it's actually listed there, as psalm or song of ascent. It's some 2,500 years old. And it was used by the ancient Israelites. It's written a little bit after David's time. King David. King David is 3,000 years ago, so you see 500 years difference, and basically this was the understanding of the people of Israel at that time. It was expected that each Jewish person, regardless of where that person lived, whether it be in a nation outside of Israel or one of the towns outside Jerusalem, it was expected that throughout a person's lifetime, you were going to make a number, if you could, a number of religious pilgrimages to Jerusalem, but the problem is that Jerusalem's up on a, a mountain in Israel, and so all the surrounding countryside is way, way down from there. And then once you get to Jerusalem, the temple itself was up on a high pinnacle as well. And so you have this idea that people were gathering, and they're walking down these roads in the desert, and here comes a band of people from another village or maybe another nation. And, and everybody's tired. They're, they're, they're feeling the pressure of walking uphill. One step in front of the other, it's like these long hills and it's tiresome. And it's like, somebody sing a song to encourage us. And so they'd sing Psalm 128. That same understanding is echoed in the book of Isaiah. Same time period, 2,500 years ago. Isaiah writes that in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest in the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. So Isaiah is in many ways referring not to just his time like Psalm 128 was, but he's referring to people of our time, people of all time in the last days. And there's going to be a time, he's saying, when many peoples will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways, so that we, we may walk in his paths. The Lord will go out from Zion. Zion is, frankly, a suburb of Jerusalem that's just down a little bit lower from, where the, from this, the actual, where the temple is. And the word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem. In other words, you could think of it this way. Based on the sum of ascent, Psalm 128, based on Isaiah 2, based on a walk with God, based on a daily spiritual choice, based on a de- desire to plant something new every day, you could say that we've got to walk up our own mountain, Of Christian spirituality. Now, Christians, we call that discipleship. It's not just saying, I'm going to try something new. No, we say if we're following Jesus, we want to be like his original disciples. Where he goes, we go. What he does, we do. They were his disciples. We would say that our growth in Christian spirituality is discipleship. And so you still want to go, great, Wayne, but what's the first step? Well, friends, Start with Jesus, plain and simple, straightforward. A daily walk of spirituality starts with a choice for Jesus Christ. I really can't overstate this. Our eternal destiny is wrapped up in understanding Jesus coming as God in the flesh and that he provides the way for salvation. He provides the way to eternal life. He provides the way for us to actually start this walk and this growth of called Christian spirituality. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except only through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. So if you want to know the Father, know Jesus. And I must admit, you're probably saying today, well, that's really difficult language in a day and time in a culture that prizes diversity, plurality, and a variety of opinions. And surely some, we would be inclined, our culture would say, well, there are a lot of different religions and they're all equal and they all make the, you can, any, any, any religion will get you up the mountain to God. Well, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I'm the only way. And if Jesus can't be trusted with that statement, if, if that statement isn't true, then why would we trust any of his other statements? You know, when he says to be kind or any of his teachings, how do we know he's not lying there if he's lying on this one? Apparently, there's no other way to get to know God. And some religions may have some nice teachings, and you may have friends who are um, fine folk, kind and gentle and admirable in many ways. Fair enough. But Jesus said, there is no other way but me. And by the way, if you've not yet made a decision for Jesus Christ, if you're not yet a Christ follower, I'd love to chat with you about that, about your choice to choose to, um, we could put it this way, to step over the line of faith. If you go, if there's the line of becoming a Christian, you kind of bump up against it, bump up against it, and you go, ah, could I help you step over that line today or in the coming days? and help you to say, I'm moving from somebody who's interested in the tenets of Christianity and actually step over the line and say, now I believe, I'm choosing to believe in faith that Jesus is the Son of God. If you'd like to have a chat about that, you can, you can do that online, you can text um, the word, with your smartphone, you can text the word Jesus to the church's main phone number, 217-875-3350. If you'd like to have a chat about it today, grab the elbow of one of the pastors in the building. Call us this this week. Uh, We'd love to have a chat about all that because to get this spirituality going, you've got to start with Jesus. That's the start. But then, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, if you're going to walk like him, then you're going to what? You're going to walk like him, right? You've got to live like he did. And one part of that includes Scripture's view of you and all humans." Christians affirm the value of each person. So after stepping across that line of faith, Christians then affirm the value and worth of all humans. And each person, regardless of race or color or gender or political persuasion or place of birth or their setting on the social strata, Christians declare that each person is made in God's image. We all bear God's image within us. That means then, part of Christian discipleship, if you think about, after knowing Jesus, the first thing we have to deal with is humans. And when we deal with humans, then we have to say we have to have care and concern for others as well as ourselves. See, when scripture talks about the birth of humanity, when it details creation story and the first human beings, we read this, that. When God created the human race, this is how he made the human race. He made the human race godlike. We're not gods. There's some faiths that declare that you can become a mini-god or a a small god. No, we're not saying that at all. We are saying we are godlike in that we are in his image. The Hebrew language is "zeleb Elohim. It means in Latin, the imago Dei, the image of God. So when God created the human race, he made it godlike, with a nature sort of like God. He created both male and female and blessed them, the whole human race. What does that mean? The Imago day within me, within you. Well, it's there. I don't mind you seeing it in me, and I don't mind you recognizing that. I like to recognize it in you, but sometimes it's a step to recognize it in people who I find distasteful, Right? The image of God is found in people who I don't like. Oof! The image of God is found in people who take on views that I don't agree with. They may even take on extreme political views that I might find offensive. And I might not like that person or their political views, but part of their being made in God's image is that they are human. And by being human, they may be flawed, I may be flawed, and the flawing in either case may be greater or less, I don't know, depends. But each person is made in the imago Dei, the image of God. Do you know how we know this? Look at the ability of humans versus the rest of the human race. Cats didn't make automobiles. They don't have the ability to be creative and industrious like that. We can plan for the future in ways beyond what nature does. Yeah, a bird will make a nest for the coming season, but it has no sense of longevity of life. We as humans, we know how to care. We know how to love. Those are all aspects of God's character, that creativity, that planning for the future, that loving, that caring. We mirror the image of God in each, and we see it in each person. That means... In my walk of Christian spirituality, I have to value each person, even if I don't like them. It means I have to value myself. And this walk up, this Christian discipleship, involves a care for myself and a care for others. And friend, if you have hatred within you, then there's some work of God that is yet to take place. That's why I've listed that the next step after seeing people as made in God's image, is a step of repentance. And some of you might say, well, you know what? I, when I crossed the line of faith, when I moved from just testing out Christianity and became a follower of Jesus, then didn't, didn't God forgive me of all my sins? I mean, Christians talk about being covered by the blood of Jesus and that all the sins of the past and future are forgiven. True. But repentance is an ongoing daily event. When you crossed over the line of faith and you said, God, Forgive me a sinner, that's a one-time event if you will that the blood of Christ covers you. You are sorry for your sins. And praise God, they are all forgiven. But repentance is a daily ongoing event. We say in addition to being sorry for my sins, I'd like to recognize them and figure out how not to do them any longer. I wonder at times that if we knew all the ways we had offended the divine charter of heaven before we experienced God's grace, I suspect many of us would have chosen to forego becoming a follower of Jesus because we would have said, my sins are too great. Yet yeah, I've got good news for you, friends. God forgives us even before we know the full extent of our sin and guilt. It all happens in God's grace. And then as a flowing out of that grace... God's grace includes a Holy Spirit-guided self-examination through every day for the rest of our Christian life. I'd even like to go this far. I'd like to present a proposal to you that if you've not discovered a reason recently, if you've not discovered a reason recently to repent of a newly recognized sin, it may be something you've been doing for years, it may be brand new, but you're saying, man, I just am now recognizing this. If you've not come to a place like that, then I'd suggest, I propose this, it's time for some deeper self-evaluation of your walk with Christ. Because one aspect of growing in Christ, one aspect of moving from the lowlands of the desert around Jerusalem to the temple, to the inner city, if you will, one aspect of moving from discipleship and into more discipleship and growing in that is an ongoing Repentance. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul meant when he talked about how we should um, approach communion? Some people call it the Eucharist. The gathering around the Lord's table, whatever language you'd like to use. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing about how we remember Jesus' death in that moment, he said, Everyone. Notice it's not just new Christians. He says, everybody. So he's writing to followers of Jesus Christ. They've got some years under their belt. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Apparently, there were some people who weren't doing that. And he says, those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So when we have communion later on in the worship service, Time for some self-evaluation. Uh, so I, I think maybe if I think about how this applies to my life, I have this understanding that I have this balancing act of a self-worth as someone who's made in the image of God. And all that is good. Versus a need to live with an ongoing repentant attitude, knowing that errors are probably part of my daily walk. And I've got to f- bring the two together. You know what brings the two of them together? Humility. Repentance is always paired with humility. And given our present cultural setting, particularly in these United States, I think humility would be a good approach for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, I think humility would be a good life approach for all Christians, humility would be a good life approach for all pastors. Humility would be a good life approach for social media bloggers. Humility would be a good life approach for pundits. Humility would be a good life approach for governors. Humility would be a good life approach for congressional leaders. And humility would be a good life approach for presidents, those in the White House and those about to enter the White House. Humility would be a good a life approach for a nation, for a nation that is divided by rumors, facts, theories of this and that. And above all, humility would be a good approach for you and for me. Because before we go pointing fingers at anyone else, pride and arrogance are the opposite of humility. And I'm choosing, as best as I know how to say, how can I be humble? It's a daily walk. It's a daily step up. It's planting a a new tree every day, if you will. It's not always easy, this business of climbing up the mountain of Christian discipleship. I mean, if the ancient ancient Israelites, if they had to sing Psalm 128 to sort of like, we're getting there, we're getting there, somebody sing another song. And they're doing that in order to worship God in Jerusalem. My sense is some effort was required. Why? Because when you're going up, you're, going against the pull of gravity. It requires energy. Maybe you could think of it this way. I think many of you know of my Australian heritage, long family history in Australia, going back to the mid-1800s at least. And I've shown photos in the past of where we lived, where I grew up. We lived in this little town called Katoomba. It's in New South Wales, Australia. About two hours uh, west of Sydney. That photo you see was taken about a mile and a half from the boyhood house that I grew up in. That valley down there is longer and wider than the Grand Canyon. I want you to notice the rock formation that's on the left there. Do you see that? Can I point out what's there? I know there's a cockatoo there. Yeah, I know. I see that. Duh, right? You go, okay, I look at that. What is the first thing you see, the cockatoo? But look to the left. Those three, those three rock formations are called the Three Sisters and out on the far left one you can see a bridge. This next slide will show you that bridge. Do you see it there? That's a full-size bridge there. That gives you an understanding of the magnitude of those rock formations and the depth of those and the height of those cliffs that just drop straight off. There's a staircase that you can take, not only out to the, the Three Sisters, but you can take a staircase all the way down to the bottom of the valley. And the Australians, I and mean, I've done this, you can go down there and you walk. do a little walkabout. And there's this lovely um, path that you can see the beauty. You'd, wouldn't you love to do that? Wouldn't you love to go down there and see the beauty of the, the Aussie bush and do a walkabout down there? You could spend days, and people get lost down there. As a matter of fact, scientists tell us, I don't know how they know this, but there are 5,000 species of animals and plants that have yet to be cataloged in that valley. Things that are there that they haven't had time yet. To, well, that's a different kind of, I mean, it's just this stunning beauty. But here's the deal: If you'd like to go take a walk down there, you get down to the bottom and you wander around for a few hours or for a day or so. Do you know what you do once you're down there? You got to walk back up. You got to make your way. You got to make your way back up the cliff, and it's it's. Um, if you go down the stairs. You have to go back up the stairs. How many stairs? Well, it's not a thousand. That's good news, isn't it? It's not a thousand. It's 998. (laughs) Too shy, just too shy of a thousand. But going down and coming back, it's worth it. It's worth the steepness, it's worth the effort because you get to experience and discover. The beauty of Australia right there. For some of you today, your walk with God is this, stepping across the line of faith and you've just made step number one of 998. You've got 997 to go. Some of you stepped across the line of faith way back and you've already made 400 steps, but you still got 598 to go. Some of you stepped over the line of faith decades ago, and you're at 509. I mean, you're at 990 already, and there's just eight steps left. But you know what? You still got to make them. I think about that young 16-year-old. He started a daily habit at 16 years of age: planted a tree, one tree a day, just for one day. Do you know what he's going to do today? He's going to plant one tree. You know what he'll do tomorrow? you plant just one tree. Each step, each tree that you plant, God's grace brings the beauty along the way. You're climbing up. You're getting to see the rock formations on your right hand or left hand side depending on how the stairs are going. And you're getting to see the fauna, and you're getting to see the animals of Australia. You're getting to see all the places of God's beauty. The beauty of God's image in others and in you. And as you climb this week, you get to experience repentance and you get to walk out and live out your humility. How do you do it? One step at a time. That that staircase in Katumba is known as the giant staircase. And you can stand down the bottom of it and scream and holler and carry on. Ain't gonna get you up it. You've got to put one foot in the other, in front of the other, and go one step at a time. I promise you, you can't do it steps like three or four steps. It's very steep. It's one step at a time. So your challenge for tomorrow then, not for Tuesday yet. Tuesday's still coming. But for tomorrow, one challenge. Take the step. Serve God. We'll deal with that on Monday. And then Tuesday, we'll take the next step. Serve God. But for now, one step. Serve God. Let's pray about it together. God, I am mindful of the times that I've walked down those stairs down to the valley in Katoomba. And uh, the great joy and exhilaration of climbing down, of kind of almost sliding down the banisters almost, it's so steep, and yet... No, and if you get to the bottom, you've got to get back up. You've got to take on a big adventure of one step after another. There are people here today, God, people who um, maybe need to start that first step. I pray you'd give them great courage to do that. And then, Lord, for those who um, have made one step or seven steps or 500 steps, maybe more than 900 steps. I pray you'd give us all courage to live in repentance, God, to live in humility, to demonstrate to this world what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In a world where humility seems to um, be lost, we would repent of the times, God, when we want our way. Instead, we would lean into your grace to see the beauty of God within each person. We repent, God, of our moments of arrogance. We lean into you for all these things, in Christ's name, amen.
2: We've been reminded today through Pastor Wayne's message that for each of us, our spiritual pilgrimage has to begin with Jesus. There comes a point where we have to acknowledge the fact that we are sinful and um, that God is holy and perfect and that nothing that we can do uh, can bridge that gap. And then we also have to step into belief about Jesus, that God, out of his love for us, provided him as the only acceptable sacrifice for our sin and that he willingly died for us. And then we have to actively choose to follow Jesus from that point and then again every day. And so as we step into a time of communion together, as brothers and sisters in Christ gathered around this table taking the bread and taking the cup in remembrance of what Jesus did for us, we are reminded of an amazing act of humility. You see, God, the son left heaven to come to earth and to wear flesh, that was an act of humility. And then he willingly died on the cross for you and for me. That was an act of humility. And so today, as we observe communion, we're going to do it in a little bit different way. The worship team is going to minister to us in a song. And as they do that, each one of us has the opportunity to do some self-reflection, to do some examination, as we saw in first Corinthians, which is a, uh, appropriate for us to do, and to repent in humility before our holy God. And so let's pray and prepare our hearts for that act. Father God, we thank you this morning for the reminder of our position before you, that each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made in the very image of God. And Lord, that gives us value and worth but how much greater our value and worth becomes when we accept the work of Christ in our lives, when we recognize our failing, our sin, our separation from you. And Lord, how thankful we are that Jesus humbled himself to become human, that Lord, he willingly died on the cross in an act of submission, and he paid the price that each of us owes but can never repay. And so, Lord, this day, I pray that you would guide each one of us into a time of reflection, of examination, of humbleness before you as we take the bread and as we take the cup in remembrance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as the worship team um, ministers to you, take a time of personal reflection and then take the elements where you are as you are led.
0: again set me on fire set me on fire oh take all i have in these hands and multiply God all that I am and find my heart on the altar again set me on fire set me on fire
3: here I am Pouring out my life gracefully, broken. My heart stands
0: in all of your name, your mighty. Your purpose for me, you won't forsake me, you will be with me.
3: with us. Let's worship. Let's get excited. Let's get those hands going. Come on.